Hey everyone, I just want to give you a little update on our make hashtag ruthless Jesse's full-time job drive that we're doing right now. Um, as you all know, Jesse suffered a major injury and is, as a result, she's currently unemployed for the foreseeable future, but we are trying really hard to remedy that by making the podcast her IRL job. Um, in the past few weeks since her injury, you all have pledged almost $1,000 a month more on Patreon. So first and foremost, we both just want to say thank you so much to every single one of you who has helped make that happen. Um, as of my recording this, just moments before the episode goes up, we're currently making $2,613 a month out of our $6,666 a month goal. So we do still have a ways to go. And if you would like to help us meet that goal, you can head to patreon.com slash thegailyprofit and pledge anywhere from 3 to $33 a month. And at whatever level you pledge, you get access to all of our offerings because we have a non-hierarchical Patreon. We don't believe that the amount of money that you are able to give is in any way an indicator of how much you value our work. And so whether you can give $3 a month or $33 a month or anywhere in between, we believe that you deserve access to everything that we have to offer. And so you will get access to everything we have to offer. Again, that's patreon.com slash thegailyprofit. And also again, thank you. Thank you so much. We're both so grateful. Uh, tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be like quote unquote enemy for every time we bring up that. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Wayward Son by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Mark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about chapters 19 and 20. So chapter 19, um, we have uh, Penny. It is the next day after her abrupt but apparently long-standing breakup. And she is trying to get herself uh, back together. And is now at, at the part of the breakup where she's like, no, actually, you missed out, Micah. Which, you know, makes a lot of sense for Penny, who likes to kind of be the in-control brains of the operation. See her and Simon's friendship. And her parents' relationship, which she holds to a high regard. But she really is pretty sad about the rejection and having to find another life partner. Simon has decided for the group they should all just, like, keep calm and carry on and go on with this road trip to see Agatha. So they do. Uh, chapter 20 is alternating between Simon and Baz. Simon finds Aya would be very lovely, and Baz is not at all charmed by this flat-ass American farmland. Simon is continuing to drive them along the highway and really wants some sunglasses like Baz, who currently looks like a hot classic movie era gay. And Simon is very here for it. <laughs> Simon is also here for the repetitiveness of Clear Channel owned radio stations and hearing, for example, Horse with No Name for the fourth time in probably about five hours. They reach Nebraska just in time for the Omaha Ren Fair, which they clearly got to go to. Baz, still worried that some of his spells aren't working, 
hands Penny his wand, which does work. It's just that Baz is picking the most British of spells, which is allegedly why they're not working. Anyway, at the Ren Fair, Simon is startled and his wings just pop out. But everyone around them is just impressed with his quote unquote costume. And Simon can actually kind of relax in public for once. Um, all of them are kind of wild by the Ren Fair because it really is a, a truly bizarre mashup of medieval era movie tropes and Disney's and furries and Vikings and pirates and not much actual Renaissance era aesthetics. Uh, mm-hmm. Penny is irate about this mishmash because it is just vaguely British and weird, but Bass has decided to get into it because Simon is once again having the time of his life. Yep. All right, so standard spoiler warning, we're spoiling the rest of the series, and with that, we're going to get into... Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. The first observation of Simon that we get in this segment is Penny seeing him through the hotel window pretending to drive in the front seat of the convertible and it is the cutest thing that's so cute and it made me very happy i know i don't think simon has had much to be excited about for the past several months and he is just very excited about even pretending to drive this car yeah um i have to say that it has truly not occurred to me until this chapter that driving in a convertible with a top down on the highway you would get so disgusting because you're just like covered in like road dust and like exhaust and like gravel and it's like ugh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah so we get this moment of simon and penny's friendship that i really appreciate i almost put this somewhere else but i didn't know where it belongs so i put it here um you know, Penny's like, I don't know if we should go. Agatha's not expecting us. Look how well that worked with Micah. And Simon's like, it'll be fine. It's not like Agatha's going to dump us. And Baz is aghast that Simon <laughs> has said this because it is so rude. But Penny doesn't fucking bat an eye. To her, it's just like, she's like, why would I? Like, it's not just, oh, that's Simon. She's like, why would I be hurt like that? It's not like I don't know that Micah dumped me. And just what we what that shows us about how penny and simon understand each other and like you know i think once baz is like that was rude he's like oh objectively that was rude but like his instinct that it was okay to say is because he knows that it's not going to hurt penny for him to say it Mm. and i don't know it just makes me really happy to see people like be good friends i feel like you and i talk about a lot of media where people are very bad at being friends with each other aka harry potter and buffy and so these three the way that they're good at being in relationship with one another just just makes me really happy yeah no you're so right and i think at least sometimes and as someone who will often say incredibly ridiculous things to people just to get them to laugh i like definitely understand this instinct of simon to say something like that Mm-hmm. you know i know they are such good friends they are i like it so much uh i just want to talk about baz's shirt <laughs> mm-hmm. which is very lovely and very gay and is probably either designer made of silk actual embroidery or all three of those things 
Definitely designer in silk. I don't think it's embroidery. I think it's the like, whatever that like super intricate hand dyeing that you do with silk is because embroidery would be too heavy Mm. for a silk shirt. Yeah, that's true. I guess I was just thinking because pennies like this probably cost more than my tuition. And I'm like, it probably does. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to make sure that we also note how insulted he is when he is let in <laughs> to this round fair for wearing a costume. <laughs> um, actually, okay, I actually have a thing about that. What I'm like, what do you think the ticket person is just like thinking that Baz is cosplaying ass? Because I was trying to think about that because I'm like, I love going to the Renaissance Festival, and I'm just like, what? What do you? What did? What do they think Baz's costume? But that's the thing about Renfest is that you don't have to be anything in specific. That's like true. you could go wearing a, a just hodgepodge of costume pieces that you found in your closet and they'd be like, yep, it's kind of like Mardi Gras in that way. Like you don't have to be a specific thing. You're just in costume. So they're like fancy shirt. Like you don't look like you're, you know, just coming from your college class. You look fancy. So you must be dressed up. <laughs> Baz is not wearing a like dirty sweatshirt. He's wearing like designer's jeans and this incredibly designer shirt. And so this one's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're fancy. All right. Exactly. <laughs> he was so angry about that. <laughs> he literally says out loud, this is a very expensive shirt. <laughs> Which just saved you five dollars. <laughs> exactly. Not that they're, you know spending real money but still yeah (laughs) all right that's your (laughs) okay yes um this random and bizarre detail that all the women in baz's family learned to play the dulcimer is what a what a tiny delight that exists for no reason um yeah i like the idea of imagining fiona learning how to play the dulcimer (laughs) Yes, so (laughs) sullen and frustrated. (laughs) It's like just just to make everyone angry, she has learned something from like the clash on Dulcimer just to like scandalize everyone. I know, and I I was about to say, you know, she's so grumpy about it when she's a, a, a small one, and then she grows up and is like, oh, I can actually use this in my like weird post industrial like goth band that I'm joining. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) having a dulcimer in your like weird band it'd be incredible so yeah exactly the vibe Mm -hmm. (sighs) uh i just love the bit about simon thinking that the hotel continental breakfast would be french (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh you sweet just like oh if only it wasn't just dry muffins and stale cereal. Though I think I had a really, one time I did have a really excellent continental bef- breakfast at a hotel in Kentucky because I had like actually good biscuits and gravy, but like that was Oh, it. nice. Yeah, I, I feel like the further south you go, the better luck you have with the continental breakfast. So they're like, yeah, here's some sausage and whatever those things are called that keep things warm. The warmers? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they're probably they're probably called something else. I just I just call them the warmers. Anyway, uh All right. My last point is a three-part point that really the whole thing is just 
us seeing Baz and Penny and Simon at Renfest makes me so happy. Specifically per character, the things about it that make me happy is Simon getting to feel relaxed with his wings out. Baz having fun, just full stop Baz being silly will never not make me the happiest. And Penny's outrage (laughs) about the theme. I, yeah, my last couple of things are about the Met Run feel. It's just, and also I think just the genius of having, you have like, oh, you create a world where your main characters are magical and they go to the Run Fair and they're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Magical and British. (laughs) Magical and British, yes. (sighs) Yeah, it was a genius decision. Yeah. Yeah, I love how Baz is just like, I'm just going to get into this. And it's like, oh, so you're just going to casually quote Shakespeare? Okay. All right. That's that's awesome. This is exactly what his entire life of like elocution lessons and whatever has been building to. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so great. Someone gets his turkey leg. <laughs> Every time I read this chapter, I'm like, oh, I want that. I feel like I've never gotten a turkey leg at the run fair just because that is actually too much meat at one time for me <laughs> to eat. I've only been to one run fair, and I was, I'm was pretty sure I was a vegetarian when I was there. So I go to the one in Michigan. I try to go not like every year, but kind of like every other year. And like they have like permanent structures because it's like one of the like, maybe not the oldest Ren fair, but it's like one of the few ones where it's like there's permanent structures that are there all year round. Usually it's just like mm. kind of like a carnival where it's like the tents are popped up or it travels or like something like that. But mm. so yeah, so there are people who are like have had shops at the run fair for like twenty years. And I had an old coworker whose parents met at the Renaissance Festival because they both had they both like were vendors at the Renaissance Festival. <laughs> Cute. I know what an excellent story. Um, and there are a lot of people with their boobs out. Not as many as is <laughs> described in this chapter, but a lot of a lot of a lot of folks are wearing corsets. Yeah, I was like sixteen, I think, when I was at a run fair. I don't remember very much at all, but I did get a pair of like FEMA clay horns like devil horns that are like on a string mm-hmm. um and the string is the same color as my hair i still have them they're like one of my best costume pieces and i will take any any excuse to break them out they're amazing so yeah i love stuff like that at the at the renaissance festival hold on at a couple more points uh i will say i don't i don't remember what I never remember what year this book takes place in, but there are so many f- photos of of baby dragon Simon on Facebook right now because of the amount of people taking photos of his wings. Yeah, I think timeline wise, 16, this is like 28, 17 or 18. I think that carry on ends in like spring of 2016. And it, this is the following fall so yeah this is like 20 late 2017 was instagram around in 2017 i don't remember I think yeah so. definitely all right so there's a lot of photos of him on instagram also 
yeah youtube videos they're all over the internet i mean i don't know if i saw someone that looked like someone at the Renaissance festival i'd also be like look at that incredible outfit holy shit yeah totally (laughs) um actually i guess that's it i just i love this scene (laughs) it's so good and it definitely makes me be like simon and bad should just start a booth you know (laughs) like join as performers Welcome to I See a Little Silhouetto of a Man, where we talk about character development. Uh, do you want to start with Penny? I have the most things about her. <laughs> yeah, let's start with Penny. I feel like my first thing is just Penny's big Virgo energy of assuming that she's right all the time. <laughs> Which is probably another thing, another sign. But I'm just like, LOL, Penny. <laughs> um, what do you mean, another... I, I can remember if there's another sign that was, like, known. Oh, Capricorn? Is it Capricorn, too? Oh, yes. Capricorn is, like, if you turn up the intensity on Virgo. Because it's that bit where she's like, it's just best to assume that I'm right. <laughs> like, wow! Wow! <laughs> it's so interesting. I find that line so interesting because... On the one hand, it's better not to go around doubting myself all the time. Is like, yeah, we should all aspire to that. On the other hand, humility is a nice character trait to have as an individual. And I think that there is a difference between self-confidence and I just assume that I'm right about everything until I'm proven (laughs) wrong. I don't think that those are the same thing. No, I think you're I think you're right, because I have a very I have a very similar actually I have the exact same feeling about this line. It's just like, wow, that kind of confidence is I wish I knew what that was, but also <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that is a lot of what makes Shep such a perfect match for Penny. Because he is, I mean, A, she's, this is going to sound really weird. She's in a really vulnerable space when they first start interacting. So I think that she is open to having someone come into her life who's going to push against her and like tell her when she's maybe not making the most sense in a way that she might not have been if she hadn't just been dumped. Mm. Um, But also I think, you know, his whole deal is like talking to people who don't really want to be talked to. And so he has such a like gentle way of confronting her. And like what she needs is someone who is not intimidated by or like not intimidated about confronting her, even though she has such strong opinions, but also not interested in doing it from a place of malice or like frustration, but is just like, I'm interested in having this conversation with you. And because I want to do that, that means that I have to tell you that like, I think that you're maybe not right right now. Yeah. And it's just so, I'm just so excited to talk about them as a couple, really. I know. I mean, I love Shep 
as a character, I mean, not just because always forever rooting for everyone black, but I'm just like, he's such a good character. And I feel like, I mean, for me, I think a very relatable character, which is to be like, oh, so magic is real. And even though I'm not magical, I'm going to fucking find out about all this shit. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, maybe not the whole engage to a demon. Well, Jesse, that would absolutely happen. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually like, <laughs> oh, actually thinking about me when I was single, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> I mean, that demon sounds really hot. So. Yes. um i yes so i i definitely agree with you about her and shep and also because part of a lot of what penny says both in this chapter and in like previous chapters is her saying that she wants sort of the uh, the relationship that like her parents have and being like they're so happy and then of course we find out in anyway the wind blows it's like uh not as much as you think from looking at your parents and like not to say they still don't have like like a close relationship but it's not all like this like sunshine and roses and that she is thinking that she wants but i'm also kind of like i don't necessarily i mean i don't know it doesn't seem like a like a super great dynamic from the outside which is like one partner telling the other partner like, you know, making all the decisions or like telling them what to do or whatever, you know? And like, not to say that that can't work, but it's like, there's a balance still, even between people who are like, I'm totally cool with you making a lot of the decisions, you know? Yeah. I get the feeling that what Penny sees or how she has interpreted her parents' relationship is not actually indicative of, like, I think they do a lot of their communicating maybe, like, in bed at night before they fall asleep. Like, I I get the feeling that they talk over things a lot in a way that Penny doesn't see because, like, you don't usually have those conversations, like, in front of your kids, and it sounds like they don't hang out as a family a lot anyway. Mm -hmm. And her mom is just a lot... Yeah. louder than yeah. her dad and maybe there's a lot of maybe there's a lot of small decisions that she that her mom just makes you know and her mm-hmm. dad's like cool i don't care either way about the details of this but for like larger stuff you know yeah or if she like makes a decision he brings it up later and then what penny sees is her mom being like i changed my mind about that because you know and maybe Mitaly is just not prefacing it with like your dad and I talked last night and I changed my mind. Yeah. Which is like also very fine to be like there are some things that like you know you just discuss with your partner who is helping you raise a family versus like in front of all of you know arguing in front of the kids as it were. So. Right. Yeah I just get the sense that Penny would be shocked if she knew how much like input her dad actually has into the yeah. way that you know his life his and mentally shared life and like their family life actually goes yeah she might be surprised at the amount of compromise that happens right exactly <laughs> uh, i also want to talk about 
Penny's line about like everyone around me just wasted all these years falling in love and I thought that I had like had that down on lock and I'm like I know that your society puts a heavy emphasis on meeting your forever life partner in school but it's like it's okay for that not to happen I mean spoiler alert she still finds love and she's like in her 20s you know or right. when she's 20 so yeah I think it what do I want to say okay so keeping the context of what we see with Penny when she is interested in Shepard in the next well this book but like when we really see it in the next book I think it's fair to say that Penny is interested in like crushes and romance and you know sex and all of the things that come along with that Mm -hmm. if that weren't the case I would feel like yeah her being like okay someday I want a family and kids and like it doesn't super matter to me who that's with is like a valid way to think about things I don't think that's where she's approaching this from and so I given that it makes me sad that she like missed out on the part of like teenagerhood that is like raging hormones and like you know crushes so intense they turn your stomach inside out and like all of all of that part of it where things feel like you know where you feel like I'm this is the person I'm gonna be with forever and like I'm gonna marry them and whatever but you feel that way because you're just like madly in love in the way that you get to be when it's like all new when everything is new with the person and you get to do that like multiple times while you're young ideally and it just kind of bums me out that she got so in her head about it I think because of her parents story and because of what society tells mages they're supposed to do when it comes to family and stuff like that yeah that she missed out on on all of that yeah I yes well okay I do, you know, I do like everything that you just said. Because <laughs> I think part of it is like, there's definitely like a sort of air of, of, of sadness about like how, like her missing out. Um, I think what I find sort of sad is like the idea that like, that the time that people spend dating or having crushes or like, you know, being in relationships and like, you know, ending relationships and like doing that as like, wasted time yes you know because i'm just like i don't think it's a waste to spend time with people and try out relationships and like you know you know sometimes things end you know and that sucks but it doesn't mean that like it still wasn't maybe there like weren't good things or good times or just like maybe you're just like oh wow i learned that uh i don't maybe necessarily want maybe a long distance relationship isn't gonna work (laughs) you know and just kind of like thinking that like oh well it's all a waste unless i get married which i don't i mean i'm gonna be very honest it's a thing that like i laugh about with heterosexual women (laughs) who are all like i'm 31 and i can't believe i wasted my time with this dude who like didn't marry me and i'm like is is it a i mean i wouldn't go that far i mean i know that society's telling you that you're basically an an old maid, but like, like you're like what? No, and I guess I'm also coming at that as um, an extreme late bloomer kind of person. Where like, I don't know, 
wasn't like really like sexually active until I was in college and then spent a good chunk of my 20s just like either like just casually dating or just like being single so I'm kind of like I mean there's not like a timeline <laughs> like it's like you, your you, your life unfolds how it unfolds you know mm-hmm. so and like yeah some people find the love of their lives in high school or in college you know or whatever and some people don't some people never do I don't know No, I totally agree with you. I had this also. I think, I mean, I do think that is also something that's just like so culturally ingrained. And like, I mean, it's definitely something that I used to feel like anytime I broke up with someone I'd been with for a long time. And like, I think a reason that I would often stay in relationships that were like not good for me, even though I was like so young, like I've been with Evan since I was 23. So like all of the relationships I had previous to that, I'm just like, I was so young. If I had multiple multi-year relationships previous to him and I getting together and I would often stay because of that sort of like sunk cost fallacy, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, well, I've already put all of this effort in and like the goal is for a relationship to never end. And Evan carried the same belief structure but he went at it in the sort of like avoidant way where it was like he's also very much buying into the sunk cost fallacy but would be like okay I've hit like seven months and I can't see myself being with this person forever so even though things are still good we're still having fun this is still an enjoyable relationship it doesn't make sense to stay in this relationship Mm -hmm. if I don't want to be with them forever and so we just break up with people and like previous to us getting together, I think seven months was the longest he'd ever been with anyone previous, like aside from his high school sweetheart, who it was like, we're the only two people the same age as each other in our entire tiny community. <laughs> um, yeah, which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing like narrowing your options to help you stay with someone. Um. And yeah, like looking at it now, I'm just like, God, what a terrible way to think about things. Like, I don't know. And obviously I'm looking at this from the perspective of having been with the same person for like 12 years now. But, you know, we like almost broke up last summer and there wasn't a point at which I was like, if we get divorced right now, I'll have wasted the last 11 years of my life. It was you know, just like, this is really gonna fucking suck. But I don't feel like it would have been wasted because, like, I got a lot of great, like, my life has been pretty great. Mm, Well, the relationship part has been pretty great (laughs) for that time. Yeah, I... Because I spent so much of, like, my 20s, like, being single. Like, I I was 28 or 29 when me and Nicole started dating. So, like... And so at that point, because I like a bunch of my like really good friends had were like in long term committed relationships. I'm just like, either I'm going to continue to be sad about about being single or I'm just going to fucking live with it and like kind of come to terms with the like fact that, you know, not everyone, you know, falls in love and has a long term relationship. And so I was like basically at that point in my life when me and Nicole met so it's like a very pleasant surprise I'm like oh well like date and then it's like oh actually this is great we should continue to do this uh for me so that's kind of why I'm like 
I don't know. I guess I just, I guess I just kind of like have this mindset that, I mean, because there are so many ways a relationship can go wrong and kind of like ruin your life. I'm kind of just like, you know, if I'm going to be in a relationship, I want it to be a good and helpful and a relationship that like both of us can grow in. Because if not, I'm totally just fine being a like single cat lady, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that is a thing that society is like, you should feel bad for being single, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. Especially, I mean, a lot of fucked up gender things about that also. But especially when it's like, oh, you know, people like being young and single is different than like when you get every year that passes. And it's just what the fuck is, society's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, not, right. not contributing member of society. And it's just like, I would, I was totally like, I will totally just marry someone for their health insurance. You know, like, <laughs> honestly, if it came down to it, it's like, I don't know. And I think that, I think there are people who maybe don't realize they want something else out of relationships. They just think that they should be because that's what everyone says that you do as a person without having, I don't know, if you're like not a broken person, you're like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're somewhere in your 20s and 30s, you like get married and maybe have kids or whatever. So, right. Um, this has been an incredible conversation, but we should probably get back to talking about Penny. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I, is it, do you want me to start with that? Start back to our conversation? Uh, sure. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, all right. Um, one of the things that when Penny is like, you know, listen, our kids would have been smart and attractive. Micah, you're really missing out, which I'm like, LOL. Okay. Penny. <laughs> uh but one of the things she's like oh like he ne- like you know you never would have been bored and i'm like penny are you afraid of being bored which is i think such a neurotypical mood and just i think is sort of maybe a lot of what we see happening kind of with her and shepherd in the next book where like Penny like doesn't have a project and she's like losing her shit and she's like, all right, mm-hmm. Shepard, I'm gonna fucking help you with your with your life because I cannot handle looking at my life right now. And I mm-hmm. and like what's going on with Simon and Baz is just like I I just need some I need a project and you're my project now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is a very important part of a relationship for you, Penny, is not feeling like you're gonna be bored with someone. And I mean, I don't think she really grapples with it here. She grapples No, because she says that she's accepted that she thinks she would be bored with Micah. I think she's using bored as a stand-in for, like, the idea of settling. Mm. Like, he would not... He would have been dating up and she would have been settling for him. Mm-hmm. Which I think is terrible. And, you know, I, you know, she's like, I don't need to be satisfied in that way by my partnership like i would still have my friends and i would have my work which is great your partner can't be all things mm-hmm. to you but i do think that what we see with shepherd is that she actually needs someone who's going to engage her like that is yeah. actually really important for her that neither of them be bored that they be able to communicate that they be able to like dynamically interact with each other they can have uh projects together Exactly. And that's like literally what Shepard says to her is like, it doesn't just have to be you 
doing for someone else like we can do together yeah and i don't think she's ever known that previous to that moment yeah yeah i mean yeah i i mean honestly as soon as she undoes all of the however many firstborn children shep own <coughs> owes to various magical beings <laughs> she's gonna be like okay great we can have these kids and that can be the next project <laughs> yeah I think, you know, maybe, but also I think that she might also find that with someone who's that engaging for her, like she doesn't need kids as quickly as she thought that she did. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in my brain, I wasn't thinking of like immediately because it's like, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think maybe she would maybe push back the kids a little bit further than maybe at Penny at this point in time was envisioning as like part of her like checklist of a like life plan right yeah i'm just thinking because i feel like you know millennials are like really not having kids and i think that part of that is that we're realizing that like you don't have to be bored in your 30s like you actually can still have like a fun and exciting and engaging life and then that sort of space that that i think was the driving force for people being like now it's kids time is actually taken up by like community and like friends and hobbies and projects and pets and we're like oh there is no hole there and i don't need to fill it because it doesn't exist yeah this is true oh so you can hang with other people's kids because there does not cost as much money as having a child in this country does (laughs) that too oh wow okay uh, I think that's actually all of his I have for Penny. <laughs> all right. So I just have a little bit about Simon. Namely that his character, he feels out of character at the beginning of this chapter to me. Uh, he The way that he teases Baz about his scarf and his sunglasses feels very not Simon. And this comment that he makes to Penny about like, are there any magicians around here? Everything feels so mundane is like, did you mean for that to be a Baz line? Cause that really doesn't feel like something Simon would say. I feel like I also noticed the like teasing about the scarf was kind of like, but yeah. Cause I guess, I guess I don't know if there's like, if I could even make a like an argument about how it works in the narrative so yeah do you have anything else in this section uh <laughs> uh i think simon should just work at a run fair this he is <laughs> i mean clearly it's just that he's excited about you know having his wings out and like being with baz and penny and like it doesn't matter because everyone around them is a fucking weirdo but i mean simon you don't need a degree your boyfriend is rich um and you're able to find out soon that you are also rich. So mm-hmm. fuck a degree. <laughs> Work at the <laughs> Become a sword fighter at the Ren Fair. It'd be incredible. <laughs> yeah, totally. People make their livings doing Ren Fair so like traveling Ren Fair stuff too. He could totally yeah. could totally do that. I don't know if I don't think Yeah. Yeah. Baz does not want to live in the US, uh, unfortunately, so he would not have a good time with that. no but i'm sure that simon could find like work as a bewinged sword fighter in some way in the uk also there has to be some sort of 
yeah carnival troopy thing that he could do that with something so. yeah uh so i want to say a few things about baz okay um he on the other hand at least at the beginning of at least during chapter 19 and the beginning of chapter 20 is not having the time of his life no because he can of course pick up the smell of pig shit that permeates much of the american farmland um because factory farms and i also have a very clear image of my mind because he was because one of the things he's angry about is like i haven't had tea all day and so i'm imagining him like at the continental breakfast being like upset by all this like sad pastries and then just seeing the like the like three boxes of celestial seasonings and one to like throw (laughs) his chair through a window um and i'm like yeah that's a shitty way to start your day (laughs) you just (laughs) uh and your spells aren't working like you're just so far this uh this real troop has been real terrible (laughs) for you yeah (laughs) also he's been like hangry for half of it so far yeah he did eat a squirrel this morning though he sure did but i think not that we've discussed but not a lot of blood in a squirrel i imagine squirrels are pretty tiny yeah um, which is why it's so nice when he starts getting into the rents into the into run fair oh yeah it is um yeah it's just really nice to see him relax in that way Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff. I just adore the juxtaposition of Simon and Baz's experiences at the beginning of chapter 20. (laughs) It is so, it's so great. It's so adorable. Because Simon is like, oh man, I love these rolling hills of Iowa. I love... Being able to sing Horse With No Name again for, like, the eighth time this trip. <laughs> and Baz is like, I hate literally anything that is happening right now. <laughs> <sighs> yep. What do you have here? Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the Renaissance Festival. Because Penny is, Penny is correct for folks that have maybe never been to a Renaissance Festival. That it is not historically accurate renaissance era like think like the other Boleyn girl or like Shakespeare in love or like the Queen Elizabeth movie it's not the aesthetic is not that um it really just is a mishmash of things (laughs) what does Beth say like Monty Python the Holy Grail and Peter Pan and the Princess Princess Bride um it's that but also with pirates and furries (laughs) and Mm -hmm. vikings and recently of course characters from game of thrones but also just like fairies fairies people in cloaks um some embroidered velvet stuff if people are like clearly i spent a lot of money and come to like run fair every year but i feel like it's kind of like if it could be a D &D character it can be at renfest yeah is that Yes, that is accurate. Um, or also, if you just want to dress up in an outfit of some kind mm-hmm. and show up. The one in Michigan, because it goes for like a month and a half, they have uh, themed weekends. It's like a, pir- it's a pirate 
weekend and a mermaid weekend and uh pretty sure there's a like one when you like dress up your dogs in costumes (laughs) which i still have not been to but clearly need to (laughs) yeah Yeah. and it's like pirates aren't really medieval but who cares you know right what are sorry what are the technical years of medievalness is it like the 1500s it's it's the i think it's the 1400s in the 15th century is i think what we're looking at because yeah whatever time that like king and henry the eighth was like killing all his wives i think counts okay so the renaissance was the late 15th and into the 16th century so it was like the movement out of the middle ages yeah so like medieval stuff wouldn't even technically count yeah it would be more like gilded stuff and like embroidery and velvet doublets and like hose so yeah more like shakespeare stuff and kind of the enlightenment and people in salons um but i mean there's also like the italian renaissance and then kind of the like european renaissance but yeah but it comes out of the middle ages aka the dark ages so right interesting yeah but yeah that's not that's not at all the vibe of at least the renaissance festivals that i have been to slash have seen happening in the united states yeah it's just a weird mishmash of tropes yeah totally yeah so yeah penny's looking for the historically accurate thing and it's not you she's not gonna find it anywhere in the united no states. <laughs> no um okay i just have one one more landslide which is that horse with no name is just a terrible song and baz is entirely correct about its value yeah i had to look it up because i'm just like is this a song that i like or not and it's like oh no it's not no it's very boring it's very long it does have one of my favorite things in media which is when specifically songs become a big deal that have just absolutely just like this is not even poetry lyrics so this one uh very famously has something along the lines of there were trees and rocks and things is one of the lines you know another thing that i love is that kid rock song that has the line we didn't have no internet but man i never will forget the way the moonlight shined upon her hair and it's like that is trash like how is that on the radio but it like tickles me so deeply so this song should count because i do value that in media but like maybe it's just because i have heard it so many times from listening to all these stations i don't know or classic rock stations i have no room in my heart for it yeah i think the singing is sort of like it sounds like a knockoff neil young track yeah but like worse it's just not catchy yeah i guess as a follow-up to this i don't understand why this scene this thing isn't about the song carry on my wayward son yeah (laughs) is that too on the nose no (laughs) the last book was literally like the name of the book was like the last spell that was used it was the last line of the book it is in keeping with with the theme of how we're naming these books and that's a actually good song yeah it is i know i 
I fully intend to at the end of the book try to summarize the entire book with just like the audio of not the lyrics but just the music of Carry On My Wayward Son playing in the background. I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be able to do it but I really want to try. I want you to try too. That sounds amazing. Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Simon just compares Bass to him looking like a boy Marilyn Monroe, which literally breaks his brain about mm-hmm. how hot it is. And I'm like, you mm-hmm. know, same. <laughs> yeah, Bass is working it. Yeah. Um, my favorite part is the part when they get out of the car at the run fest <laughs> and Baz is like, I imagine in Simon's eyes, it's happening in slow motion, like in a movie. <laughs> Baz is shaking his hair out after taking his scarf off. And Simon is literally just like, st- like mouth agape, just like staring. It's so hot. I love it so much. Yeah. There's like a little bit of drool because he's just like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it definitely is in slow motion. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, I just want these books to be turned into movies so badly. I think this is the kind of book that translates so well to a movie because it's so dialogue heavy. And so you, you can really like keep everything in without it being too long, you know? Yeah. And I just want to like see this moment with my actual eyes and not just my inner eye. Mm hmm. Yeah, I really want, I mean, I always just really want this, which is a uh, limited run television series mm-hmm. and or graphic novel. And. And. Always. Yeah. And. and. <laughs> uh, I guess I also just have to point out once again that even though it is not doing anything for Baz, there are just boobs everywhere. Yeah, that's also my next thing. It says, <laughs> with exclamation marks after each part, so many tits. Baz is so mad. Simon is entranced. <laughs> yeah. I know. And also, normally there should be, like, at least a couple of ripped dudes, like, wearing kilts. Definitely. Um, is that part of the Middle Ages? Who knows? There's always just dudes wearing kilts. At the Michigan Renaissance Fel- Festival, they sell kilts called unicilts and they're they're not some of them aren't plaid some of them are just like black or like green i had a black unicilt that i wore a lot i thought about getting one on and off and then still not really a skirt or a kilt person so that never happened they're really nice in the summer anyway i also just wanted to say that i really appreciate seeing all of these uh busty women be into simon I don't know why. It feels like a given that Baz is hot as fuck, but Simon has so much self-doubt about his own appearance and we really only hear about how hot he is from Baz. And so seeing this external validation of how hot Simon is, I thought was really nice. Yeah. I mean, ladies love a dragon wing. Is what <laughs> also, also, he's very hot. But yeah, no, it is really nice. <laughs> I know Baz is so bad. Isn't there like one line about like, about us like, the, like we met the turkey leg like her like her boobs just like falling into, into, into <laughs> <Simon's head. laughs> 
Yeah. Um, do you have anything else here? I do not. All right. So before we leave, I have for you a kiss kill improvise. All right. So you have three options of bosomy corseted women. <laughs> Option one is a fairy, not an actual fairy, uh, a woman dressed as a fairy. I forgot how Baz distinguishes it. A human's idea of a fairy um option two is a bar wench and option three is someone dressed as queen elizabeth the first <laughs> oh this is hard okay damn this is hard okay all right i'm gonna kiss the woman who's dressed like a fairy kill the bar wench and improvise with the Elizabeth the first. I need to hear your explanation. Okay. Okay. So even though the like fairy aesthetic is like truly played out, I have still seen, I'm still kind of like, there are some people like who can really do the fairy outfits very well. And I'm like, you know what? I'm here for this. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the bar wench was actually really hard. Cause I'm like on one hand, booze and food. On the other hand, at least in my experience, very loud, a lot of yelling involved. Mm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm really not about that life. And I'm like, Queen Elizabeth the First, you're you're invested in the run you're invested in run fair. You do this every year. You have a really elaborate costume. And like honestly, you could probably just buy me some drinks because you have like a fancy area in the pub where you're like mm-hmm. hold court. And I'm like, that sounds great. Maybe you're part of like a funny tea party at some point. Excellent. We can just hang out. We can hang out. <laughs> it okay. sounds great. That makes sense. Counter proposal though. Okay. What if you kissed Queen Elizabeth because whoever is cosplaying as Queen Elizabeth is probably very confident and would probably step on you and improvise with the fairies because they probably almost definitely have drugs. <sighs> Shit, you are so right. Oh, the fairies do probably have drugs. <laughs> Shit, I might have to switch that. There is no wrong answer here. There, I mean, there Just... is, there is, there is no wrong answer. But the fairies are definitely, definitely have mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that was a really, that was a tough one. That was a really <laughs> tough one. Uh, so it's more fun when they're hard. All right, True. okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the right section for it anyway <laughs> <But up up. laughs> welcome to is this just fantasy where we talk about magic and science and magical science you said you have a lot of stuff here? Uh, I have quite a few things, yes. All right. No, I have, a lot, of, I have a lot of stuff. All right. So, so to start off, let's talk about Baz's spells that aren't working. So, like, it's explained that the reason none of Baz's magic is working is because he's using specifically British idioms in the U.S. And that, you know, the more that, that words are said by normals and read and spoken in specific consistent combinations, the better that they work. Yeah. And we have definitely, I think, called shenanigans on that idea. 
for this book, especially from like what we see canonically, it's like kind of like how you think about like the way that the English language is like IRL. Mm-hmm. I do have to say that almost all of the spells that Baz is saying in, in these chapters aren't working are the most British e idioms though. I had to look up almost all of them to find, to mm-hmm. even know what they're talking about. And they all sound like BBC shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every, every single one of them. So, and, uh, so this, this is why it's going to take a minute because I had to look each and every one of these up. I mean, like, so he's like, so ship shape and Bristol fashion, which he tried to use to fix the car. I mean, ship shape is pretty much like, is the ship good to go? Um, yeah, and we say that here. Yeah. But we don't have the Bristol fashion part, which is why that spell should have at least kind of worked. Because, right, like, ship shape has been around since the 17th century and is used here. Um, the Bristol fashion part is, a, according to, what is my what is my source, my site is, like, behind the phrase dot co.uk mm-hmm. <laughs> is that the bristol fashion part was like slapped on to the like is merged into ship shape in the 19th century in the uk because bristol is was maybe still is a very important port in the uk and like it seemed like there it seems like there was still some speculation about what bristol fact like what bristol fashion actually means in terms of this saying, uh, but it suggested that the Bristol port, the tides are really erratic. Like, and so the water levels could rise and between like the variance is like a 30 foot difference. Whoa. Right. And so, uh, having a, you know, a ship that was like Bristol fact fashion means that like your ship is prepared. If you need to, if it's like a low tide, you got to like push that shit out. Like, you know, hmm. it's not going to be a problem. So it makes sense to like the way that this is combined together. Obviously, this is a very British, <laughs> a very British saying. So it's like, mm, of course, it was not going to work. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. Well, per the lore of this book, of course, it's not going to work. Yeah, it should have at least worked with the ship shape part. It should have like, sort of worked. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other, other spell that we get is uh, keep stum. Right, which means like, shut up. Yeah. But that is weird because shtum is a, is a Yiddish word, which is, I, from what I found out, derived from a German word for silence. So even though Americans don't say keep shtum, I also kind of like, but a lot of people in the U.S. speak Yiddish. Yeah. So I'm like, that should have also at least kind of worked. Yeah. Belt up is another thing that Baz tried to cast and didn't work. Belt up is... Uh, British saying for for shut up, which has been around since the 30s, and is it was also used as a like, you know, buckle up phrase from starting from the 80s, which is why mm-hmm. Baz was like it should have caused you to shut up and and to like be buckled in, you know. But interesting, too too British, too British mm-hmm. for for this to work. So I'm like, okay, I will give, I will I will give her that. I will give Rumble Rowell that one. Light of day, like, I don't know. I don't know if that one was supposed to be British or if it was just worked weekly because Penny was using Baz's wand. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I couldn't find a specific thing. And I'm like, in America, we use like the light of day, you know, as a phrase. 
Um, glass and a half, though. Glass and a half, and then the spell um, exceedingly good cakes, which I assume he tried to spell the breakfast, his breakfast to be better, and it didn't mm-hmm. work. Uh, are both ad slogans uh, for British snacks. Uh, Cadbury dairy milk chocolate and one, and then Mr. Kipling cakes for the other one. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, those are two I'm just like, I have no fucking clue what these things are from. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of these is kind of just like, yeah, sorry, Bass. <laughs> this is not a book you could have gotten that's like British idioms and US idioms, like like a travel like a like a travel dictionary or something. Oh, that's travel cute. Dictionary. I bet there is. Travel dictionary for mages. Yeah. I mean, I have to use this conversation to just like reiterate how much I hate this change in canon and how fucked up I think it is. Like if you if you follow the narrative thread out to like what it would mean, I th- I think I think it really, really sucks. I think that Baz should absolutely be able to cast these spells here because if they work in the UK, then they're part of the magical lexicon and that shouldn't be location dependent yeah and i think it really also just puts into question what happens when you're in places that are incredibly diverse you know like i think with like under this logic like magical spells and like indigenous languages wouldn't work yeah that's what i said the last time we talked about this yeah or like even though it's like there may be places in the country where there's like more of a like, you know, of a population like speaking a language than like other parts of the country, it wouldn't mean it like it wouldn't. Yeah, I, I think I think that it sucks <laughs> like to be to be quite blunt. Like, I hate the idea that if like the our three mages went on holiday to Japan they couldn't do any magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people in Japan speak English. But, like, yeah. if they're in the countryside, if they're not in, like, a, a dense city center and they're somewhere where not a lot of people are speaking English regularly, that they w- just wouldn't be able to do it. And even if they, like, were, you know, using a, a, a I don't know, Google or whatever to, like, translate something that they know is a Japanese spell, they don't understand all of the nuance and the the things that you have to know to be able to use a spell. So like they wouldn't probably even be able to cast spells in Japanese unless they spoke Japanese. And I hate, I just really, really dislike it. No, it's, yeah, it's really kind of fucked up. Also, it occurs to me right, literally right the second that, I mean, there are British immigrants in the U S you know, it's not not enough of them. I don't know. I feel like, I maybe want to call shenanigans on that, too. I mean, I guess I don't know how many British immigrants there are in the U.S., but I would guarantee it's comparable to an amount of, like, other immigrants from country, you know, from other smaller countries here. And then to assume that, like, then, like, if you're, like, from Laos, your magic wouldn't... It's just like, hmm. Right. You know? It's very... It feels very, like, speak American, but like somehow built into like the magical ecosystem 
Especially because, you know, there is such a, like, global saturation of American culture that, like, an American mage would be able to go kind of anywhere and probably be able to cast at least pop culture-based spells. But then anyone else coming to America wouldn't be able to use their magic here. Yeah. It just feels like this massive breakdown of this formerly very beautiful system that is here for like one gag and something like the a a necessary part of the plot that could have had a different explanation Mm -hmm. we could have had a different reason for there to be dead spots in the u.s that were not the humdrum and were not this problem yeah or even if it was like pockets where there just aren't people talking it could it could have been like there just have to be enough normals around speaking for like the magical ecosystem to like be present in the area so we still could have had this moment at the end where they're in the dead spot and then burning man brings magic to the area but it would it doesn't have to be dependent on people speaking like a specific language in that area yeah i'm surprised that people haven't written into us about this yet because i'm like really curious to know how other people feel about it and usually when i'm like what do you think or when either of us is like that people are like i'll send you an email about it but we haven't gotten any yet yeah i know and you know honestly now that i think about it from like a sheer like numbers game it sounds like you'd probably want to learn some spells in chinese as like like more people are speaking potentially than English, <laughs> like mm-hmm. numbers wise and probably even like numbers of like people wise mm-hmm. and so yeah it does kind of like really sort of highlight the sort of like uh english centricness of these rules yeah anyway what else do you have here oh uh we have some more magical being world world building with Baz being like oh no real fairies aren't wear cobwebs and i'm like i'm sorry what what sort of horror nightmares are these that no that's like deep deep fairy lore that's in a midsummer night's dream that's like cobweb is supposed to be this incredibly strong i think hagrid uses cobweb as like bandaging in harry potter um, they like use it for knitting. It's supposed to be like light and also super absorbent. There's yeah. precedent. Well, yeah. I mean, like spider silk is, I mean, for its size, incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. Used to great effect, I think, in George and the Giant Peach, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like, I don't know, like cobwebs are kind of like, you know, spider web that's just been hanging out and there isn't a spider living in there and it's like covered in dust, which is kind of why I got a very... I got a different mental image than if he would have been like spider silk or something or spider web, mm-hmm. but like cobweb specifically, it's like. I think we have to assume that it's been, it's cobweb that's been, um, you know, knitted or spun or something into a garment and not yeah. just like walking around with like Halloween decorations on its clothes, which did... you're right, is utterly disturbing. Yeah, I got, I, I think I got the <laughs> Halloween decoration as clothes first and I was like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> So, oh, I love that. Uh, the goth right. fairies, on the other hand, definitely. I'm here for a goth fairy. So, 
Um, okay, so yes, the only other thing that I have here is that the fact that someone ringing a bell undoes Simon's wing protection spell is a huge flaw in this. Oh my god! People ring bells Sorry. all the fucking time. Sorry, I thought it was like Simon got startled and his like wings popped up, but you're right. They're using every time an angel. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. So with okay, yep. I literally didn't think about that until right. Now. Yeah, but you're right. That is sort of a problem. Like, right? What if what if they were by like a church that had like a bell and the bell rang? What if the you hour? walk in a store, like a cute little shop with a bell above the door? That's also true. <laughs> There's bells everywhere. All right. Yeah. Okay. I I'm seeing the flaws now. <laughs> yep. Anyway, that's it. That's all for me. What all right. I have, have I have one last thing in which to, okay. I guess, end this podcast on, which is I did some research about Renaissance festivals in the UK. Okay. Um, there are two <laughs> okay. that I could find on the internet. And they're actually more focused on historically accurate-ish slash actual history of the 15th century. Like one of them is around a sort of medieval battle reenactment with like and they have like activities and like crafts people but people are wearing like time appropriate outfits and mm-hmm. not like you're a furry or you're a pirate you know uh-huh. um and then the other one i was looking at was like uh please wear some appropriate ish outfits here's a like thing on the internet about like how you could look like a peasant or like uh, someone of the middle class of the 15th century. So it was very much not a like, wear whatever, be a weirdo, come in. Which, as you discussed earlier, is not at all what American Renaissance festivals are like. There is not big necessarily on the historical accuracy or being based in actual history. So yeah. I found that very interesting. Um, there's still got to be something for Simon to do, though, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So maybe he could join like some LARPers or something. I don't know. Yeah. But- so I was kind of like, so there's a presence for the kid, for like the gang being like, what the fuck is this? What is happening? Yeah. yeah. Definitely the kind of thing that it like as an American until you witness something where someone not American is witnessing Renfest for the first time that you're like, oh yeah, that is weird. <laughs> what a weird thing that we do. All right. Yeah. It's a little bit like kind of thinking about how many like, u.s specific idioms there are things that are just like from advertisements or just like from like weird slang and you're like right if i went somewhere else and said this to someone they'd be like what are you talking about mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so what does the body good i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> which would definitely be the u.s milk spell i suppose yeah definitely or got milk yeah <sighs> all right <clears throat> thank you so much for listening to this episode of escape from reality next time we will be reading chapters 21 through 23 uh this podcast and our other podcast the gaily prophet are both creations of hashtag ruthless productions and are produced mixed and edited by me find out what other cool stuff we're doing you can find us on the internet at um the gaily prophet on both instagram and twitter and also on our website hashtag ruthless.com um if you want to find me on the internet between episodes you can do so 
on Instagram, where I am at Lark Malachi, or on my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit and on Instagram at Live from Detroit. The music in our theme song is by Kevin McLeod, and the rest of the music in the episode is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And until next time, Scott